Welcome to the Side Action Podcast, the sports gambling show that covers everything in the world of sports betting from A through Z. We'll cover the four major sports as well as anything and everything in between worth some action and we'll increase the size of your bankroll. And here we go. Welcome to Side Action, episode 99, the last uh, episode for season three, season thir- or episode 30. I am Jim Waglars, a.k.a. Weggs. You can follow me at Wegspool on Instagram and on Twitter. And I'm Steve Roberts. You can follow me on Twitter at 31SRoberts. Follow the podcast at Side Action Pod on Twitter and also on YouTube. Well, actually, this is take two. We tried this last night. It didn't work out. So mm-hmm. uh, I know America's been eagerly awaiting our, our picks for the Final Four. So we're here, America. Hopefully you get on to listen to it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously some big games last week. I don't know if you did anything else besides basketball last weekend. I played a little volleyball other than, uh, you know, watching the games, but really didn't do anything exciting. Yeah, nothing here either. Cleaning around the house, I'm sure it doesn't count for excitement. But uh, otherwise, we just kind of lounged around and watched a lot of basketball. It was kind of cool that the Sweet 16 games were spaced separately like that, which is different than has been in years past, which was good and bad. We had some close games, but others that were blowouts. So. Right. It was good in the sense of a viewing pleasure. Mm-hmm. It's bad in terms of the Weggs pool because this guy has to wait till 11, 1130 at night to start doing his nicknames and fall asleep at 130 at the computer uh, each night. And that um, pushing it into the week was kind of tough, especially for the Elite Eight on Tuesday night. And I went and met uh, Rainmaker, you know, Zach Suter out on Tuesday because we were all excited about the USC game. More on that later. Um, and so, you know, couple of drinks, came home, watched the rest of the games, had to wait. You know, it's just, it's tough to do all that crazy nicknames anyway, but doing it really late is, is even tougher. But oh, I'm sure. Either way, happy to do it, and um, it's been a great tournament so far. So, well, let's review our, uh, well, first of all, let's, let's, at the top, you know, this is going to be our last episode of this season. Uh, we've already decided that. We're going to start up again in August, you know, for football previews, so, and that'll be our 100th episode when we start up again. So a little hoopla for that. Uh, so thank you, everybody, the loyal listeners. This will be, like I said, our 99th episode. And uh, it's been a, an interesting year this year as we've switched to YouTube. We've obviously had some technical difficulties, but we've, we've enjoyed it. And um, it's a lot different from when we used to do it in your condo sh- shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, definitely. We've come a long way from being in the Racine studios in the uh, <laughs> corner of the room there. Now right. we're doing it remotely, and we've added video, which has been great. So it's been very enjoyable, and mm-hmm. we've talked a lot of a lot of good games, both football and basketball this season. That's right. It's been an awesome season. So, well, let's jump right into the hoops. Uh, well, how we did last week, and then obviously we'll roll into previews for this week. Uh, obviously, most of the picks were about the Sweet 16 because this, the matchups weren't set, but we knew the Sweet 16 matchups. We had a really good week. We went nine and four overall on our you know, recommendations and picks, um, just to kind of review some of these games. You know, obviously Loyola was one of the ones we didn't hit. Uh, Loyola came out kind of flat against Oregon State. The Beavers, obviously, to use a, a funny term, they were clear-cutting the forest there across both the Pac-12 <laughs> and then into the NCAA tournament, and Loyola was no different. They just kind of looked like Illinois looked the week before yeah. when Loyola took them out, and, um, you know, they really didn't have a chance to get within even a possession, I think, in this game for the most part, and so they didn't cover that six. The Beavers moved on, but the under hit for us, the 125 and a half. So good call on that action, and um, 
kind of an interesting game, but that uh, Oregon defense really stymied, you know, your guy, uh, Krautwig. Yeah, I was really surprised that they were able to lock down Krautwig pretty well. And really, it was more the supporting cast that just couldn't make a shot. Um, right. The rest of the team went five for 23 from the three-point line, 21% is just not going to get it done for an offense like Loyola. And I was pretty impressed with the Oregon State zone defense that mm-hmm. they played in that game. So another surprising win for me in this tournament by Oregon State, and they moved on to the Elite Eight. They did. And then obviously on the other part of that bracket, um, you know, Houston took care of business against Syracuse. You know, we kind of like Syracuse with the points plus six, but uh, they just could not get anything going against that Houston defense, which is elite, as we've been discussing all season. The under did hit again at under 140. That was kind of the easiest bet of the weekend for me. Um, uh, besides that game, I know Buddy Beheim got, got stymied, but mm-hmm. Houston also looked good against Oregon State in the Elite Eight matchup. They were kind of dominating them until they, they really went to that 1-3-1 against Houston and slowed them down and got back in that game. But in the end, Houston covered that number and played very well and advanced to the Final Four. Yeah, actually, I think Oregon State got to the window. At least I got a ticket plus eight. Okay. I think the game landed seven. So okay. it depends on the number. But gotcha. um, it was quite a comeback by Oregon State in that Elite Eight game. I kind of zoned out because I thought that Houston was going to run away with it after that first half. But I looked up, and sure enough, Oregon State had gotten themselves back into it. So that was a great game in the end, one, one of the few in that round. Yeah, well, you nailed kind of the – handicap on this one i don't know maybe you were against me on the syracuse side but you know it's the offensive rebounding of Mm -hmm. houston which we'll see if that plays out in the final four Mm -hmm. this team just eats on the glass they just dominated the glass against both these teams really and so you know we'll see going forward if that continues but you've been talking about that all year on your action index that i mean two and a half point differential on the rebounds alone Mm -hmm. yeah they are dominant on the glass there's no doubt about that right in the bottom half uh, of that side of the bracket, we had Baylor. Uh, Baylor was playing uh, at this game. They're playing Villanova. They did come to the window. We liked them at seven and a half to cover. We kind of thought they'd blow out Villanova. But Villanova hung tough in the first half. I think they might have even been winning in the first half, mm-hmm. except that in the second half, Baylor's defense and those guards, the guard pressure, turned up the heat, had like six, I think it was five straight possessions of turnovers, six out of seven where the game just kind of flipped from one side to the other, and then Baylor dominated down the stretch, covering this number. I think they won by like 10 or so or 12. Um, so Baylor obviously got it done. Those guards are incredible, especially Davion Mitchell, who was in foul trouble in the first half, and then he came back and did his thing. Yeah. Both teams had a pretty poor shooting night from the three-point line. I was kind of surprised to see that, especially the game being in Hinkle. But, right. I mean, it was Villanova who just couldn't make anything. They finished 3 of 17 from the three-point line, mm. and that's not going to help when you're trying to beat Baylor. That's awful. Um, and then the the bottom half was probably the game of this round, maybe the tournament. Uh, we liked Oral Roberts with the 11 points going against Arkansas, even though I really like Arkansas as a team. And then the under 159, you know, we, we talked about this before, Max – Acemus, is that his name? Yep, you got it. I don't know how you got that right. There's no S in the beginning of that name. But um, he's the leading scorer you know, in, in college basketball, and he showed it in this game. He put up, I think it was 28 points in this one. 
unfortunately had a chance to win it. Uh, they were winning most of the game and Arkansas did what they did. You know, they've come back in double digit situations where they have been the deficit of double digits multiple times in the tournament. And then in the season, they roared back on the glass, mostly offensive glass. And then, cause they only made, if I'm not mistaken, was this the game? They only made like one, three in that game or something like that. Yeah, they one out of nine. <laughs> so they were just pounding it in, but um, Aismas has that shot at the end of regular at the end of regulation down you know down two he could have made it and won the game and, and put the first 15 seed in the uh, final four ever but he just hit the front iron but the the game did go under so we kind of hit on both these sides yeah I thought, I think I texted you later I thought that Aismas was better than 50 50 chance to make that shot ultimately mm-hmm. I was couldn't believe that Arkansas let him get such a good look there at the end too. And I thought it was in, and I think Max thought it was in too. You could see his reaction oh, yeah. afterwards. So that mm. was an epic game, and I think you hit it right on the head. It was Arkansas's offensive rebounding that really won them the game. They posted a 38% on offensive rebounding statistics, so a massive discrepancy. And then obviously the Elite Eight game was Baylor against Arkansas. This was, you know, kind of a battle of titans here. Both teams were playing pretty well, but Baylor looked like the better team from the jump. Jumped all over Arkansas, but Arkansas, I guess, is comfortable when they're down double digits. They were down big again. They got the game within four or five until Baylor and Davion Mitchell just kind of grabbed this game by the throat. They couldn't stop this guy going to the basket. Mm-hmm. He was either setting up his teammates, and this time they were making threes in this game, and then he was obviously finishing at the rim. I, I didn't understand why they kept switching a big on him in a pick, pick and roll every time. It was like... He went by Justin Smith or the other guy every single time. I mean, at some point you got to change the the coverage. Yeah, yeah. Davion Mitchell was great. Macy Oteague had 22 points as well, and that trio of guards just was too much for Arkansas in that game. I think Ken Palm had the win expectancy of Baylor throughout the entire contest. So. Right. No question. So they they look they look formidable going into the matchup against Houston, which we'll cover in a minute. Uh, on the other side, you had some interesting games. Obviously, the Zags, and we'll talk more about them. This team is just laying waste to this tournament. They they beat up on Creighton. First half was kind of close, but they still were up by, I don't know, 12 or 13 at the half. This was a 13-and-a-half point spread for the game, and they kind of won going away. Although you hit you were, you were you hit the nail on the head here. The under came in at 158-and-a-half, mainly because the Zags just ran away from Creighton and and they kind of ran and hit, and they kind of you know, squeeze the ball at the end and make some free throws, and the game's over. Yeah, I've noticed that as a trend in these Gonzaga games lately where they're lined as big favorites. They tend to get out to those big leads, and then the last few minutes they just sit on it. Mark Few, rightly so, has no interest mm-hmm. in running up scores here in the tournament. They still have a few more games to win. So That's something great. I'll be looking for here over the next couple of days. Now, we kind of expected that against Creighton, and we'll talk about the next game and then roll back to the Zags in the Elite Eight. But USC, I was all over them for the Oregon matchup. Two and a half seemed like a short number, especially because they had played early in the season. USC dominated them, and I understand they didn't even have Ian Mobley, the the second brother on USC. And they came out, and they just housed Oregon. They were up by 20 you know, pretty quickly. They kind of made a little bit of a run Oregon at one point, but that was to get within, I don't know, 13 or actually I think they cut it to nine at once, maybe, or 10, yeah. but USC won going away on this one. They look like the better team. And I honestly thought they were going to give the Zags a run, but in that elite eight game, it was, they just, the Zags outclassed them. I mean, Timmy 
Timmy was putting him in the spin cycle, doing his left and hand, left hand, right hand finishes, mustache <laughs> moves, and all this other stuff. Um, they really couldn't stop anybody on that team. Everybody was scoring, and I was disappointed in USC. Obviously, I needed them to win for my survivor pool, and then of course I got everybody to bet on them, including action here uh, in that game. So unfortunately, uh, USC was no match for the Zags. Yeah, I was really shocked at that too. I thought that the Mobley brothers would have something for Timmy on the inside. Recall they're the number one two-point defense at USC, mm-hmm. and I thought that they would be a little bit more formidable inside. But early on, you could tell that Timmy was ready to play in that game, and he finished with 23 points and just had a great outing um, from all facets of the game, defensively too. Right. I, I was surprised at how well that they guarded the Mobley brothers. Yeah, well, they forced, I don't know, six or seven first-half turnovers against USC. They were out running right away in that game. And if you're going to let the Zags get easy baskets, then you're going to be in trouble. You know, in in USC, I knew once they were down a bunch, they're not a come-from-behind team. You know, so it wasn't like they were going to light it up from three. The uh, other region was kind of the most, I mean, exciting, but it's just a lot of things going on here. First, you had Michigan against the Knowles. Uh, I thought the Seminoles were going to be a good team here. They they were getting three points. They're this big, huge team against, you know, pretty big front line in Michigan. But, you know, up and down the lineup for the Knowles, they had that length. They played like garbage in this game. They came out really slow, turned the ball over, I think it was 10 times in the first half. And really, Michigan never looked back. They had a healthy lead at halftime and one going away. So Michigan looked formidable, um, especially the interior players. But I tell you, we'll talk about them in the Elite Eight. It was not the same story. Yeah. Yeah, I think once Raekwon Gray, the big guy for Florida State, got into foul trouble, they were in real big trouble in that game in the in the Sweet 16. And um, right. Franz Wagner actually had a pretty good game, which is quite the contrast the way he played on Tuesday night. But right. um, it was a big win for Michigan, definitely, to make it into that Elite Eight game. Yeah, the other Sweet 16 game was Alabama. I liked Alabama minus six in this one. They're playing UCLA, who is still alive. You know, they they beat they beat Alabama in this one. Uh, they played a great game defensively. And I mean, Alabama, to their credit, they slowed down UCLA's offense some because UCLA has been scoring a lot. Um, and Johnny Juzang actually really wasn't part of this, you know, situation. I mean, it came to be a, an overtime game. Alabama kind of got a gift. I'm not sure why at the end of regulation, when it was um, UCLA up by three, they didn't foul the guy coming up the court, and then the one guy who hit the jumper, not at a shot all game, he he ran one in from deep three to tie the game and force overtime. Your guy, Johnny Juzang's on the bench. Um, but somehow, even despite overtime, this game did hit under at 145, if that's the number you got it at. Um, I don't know how that's possible with overtime, but I was I was sweating that. Yeah. Did it go over? No, yeah, I think it went over in overtime. Okay. It, it was, was going to be under until that uh, – miraculous shot by Reese but um there you go my mistake on the grading that's all right yeah I mean um I just I still can't believe that UCLA beat them to be honest and Michigan for that matter um Johnny Juzang and Jaime Yaquez the two the Jay brothers they're just filling it up this tournament and doesn't really seem like they have any signs of slowing down well, and in that game that we are kind of mentioning, Michigan plays UCLA, Elite Eight, it's the last game of the, you know, of this round. It was a 
junior high school game, 51-49, and Johnny Duzang scores 28 of those points. Mm-hmm. He was, I think, in the first half, he was, what, 8 of 11 or something from the floor? The guy couldn't miss. But beyond that, this team just played really good defense. I don't know what they did against the bigs of Michigan, but they didn't show up. You talk about Franz Wagner, and even Dickinson didn't play well. And in the end, I think Dickinson had two rebounds in the whole game. Um, so he just got shut down. And That's on correct. top of that, in the end, Michigan had a, two chances to win at the end. They shot, they missed two threes at the end. You know, your guy Juzang missed the, missed the second free throw, which would have put it to three. They had two, you know, down two, they missed two threes and, and that's it. They go home 51-49. Tough, tough year for the Wolverines there. Yeah, I'll admit I fell asleep around halftime in that one. But <laughs> all the recaps I read suggested that they were trying to force feed the ball inside to Dickinson, and he just wasn't mm-hmm. getting it done in the post. So. Yeah, I think Riley had, had something for him in there. So, you know, now we have the final four that's set. Uh, we'll kind of go over this. You know, we've talked about the action index throughout the, the season. Hopefully you've heard about it. Almost all these teams, except for UCLA, were all, have been at the top all along. So it's no surprise here. But let's talk about the first matchup for the final four. You've got Baylor against Houston. Baylor's coming in as a five-point favorite. The total is 134. This will be the first game uh, on Saturday the 3rd at 4.15 uh, Central Time. I'm a little surprised this game is the first game action. I think I've mentioned this before. I think this is the better of the two games. Um, maybe there's given preference to you know the Zags or something, but mm. this game should be really exciting. At least, well, it should be exciting for a defensive defensive guy like me. Um, but you know, what do you think about this one, the Baylor versus Houston? Well, I mean, Houston plays a really slow pace, only 64 plus possessions a game. And I, I would imagine that they're going to try and slow this one down a little a little bit against Baylor. Mm-hmm. Certainly don't want to get out and run with them. But, I mean, this being a five, five-and-a-half-point spread, as we talk here on mm-hmm. Friday afternoon, um, I think that there's a little bit of value on Houston. I show this number actually less than one when you compare these two teams together. And, you know, we talked about it a few weeks ago with Cola. I think the big question mark in my mind for this one is Baylor's ability to rebound on the defensive glass. That's right. their one glaring weakness when you look at the analytics here. And Houston is number two ranked in offensive rebounding. So mm-hmm. I have every expectation that they'll be able to rebound much like they have this whole tournament and stay in this game. Now, what I would say is uh, there's a couple of things. Obviously, the, the Cougars are kind of abysmal shooting the basketball. Um, They actually shoot better from three in this tournament than Mm -hmm. from two, but not by much. I mean, like 35 to 33% or something. But you threw out a stat that I think they're getting, what, 45% of their missed shots or something like that. So I don't know how how many, you know, how that translates into real, you know, kind of effective field goal percentage, but Mm -hmm. that makes up for a lot of misses, right? Yeah. Uh, So to your point, I think that that's how they win is on the glass, but – those guards are really good for Baylor. I mean, you you know, I think you could probably put who's your guy from uh, Houston? Giroux. Giroux. You could maybe put Giroux. I don't know if he can stay in front of Davion Mitchell or not. I hope so. But they've still got those other guys who can score it. And I know that there's other players. Grimes is a good player for Houston. So I'm a little concerned about the guards, but I do think you're right. I think getting you're getting value here with Bay- with uh, Houston getting the points. 
And then what do you think about the total at 134? I, I was originally thinking it would be under, mm-hmm. but you like the you like the over in this one. Yeah, I think this is a little sneaky overplay. I've just noticed a trend in the last couple of Final Fours that these games tend to be a little higher scoring than anticipated. And I think the biggest difference this season that we have is both of these teams have at least one game under their belt at Lucas Oil. It's not like they're coming in fresh to Lucas Oil Stadium on Saturday right. afternoon. So. Right. That combined with my expectation that this is going to be a closer game, I think that you're going to have a higher propensity to see some fouling at the end, which gives you that little extra juice at the end to get over the 134. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I do think, yeah, this will be an exciting game, and I'll be at, I'll be at the four sh- at the four shows watching this with a cup with uh, Artemis Prime and, and Ridgeway, so nice. I'll be ready to go. Uh, the next game, of course, is the Zags against UCLA. We've alluded to this one already. The Zags are 14-point favorites in this one. The total is 145.5. This game is at 7.35, we'll call it, uh, Central. I don't know, man. I don't know how the Bruins keep winning. I mean, this team has won two overtime games, and they obviously the last-second shot in this last one. I mean, what's weird about this team, and I think I mentioned this, our, our previous taping that didn't work, so they finished this regular season with four straight losses, and then they were out in the Pac-12 tournament in the first round against Oregon State in overtime. This team barely beat Michigan State. I mean, they probably should have lost that game. We were watching that at mm. Circa. Like, mm-hmm. Michigan State could have won that game, and now they've run the table. I mean, they obviously have a horseshoe up their ass. I mean, I don't know what's going on. They're playing really well, and they play, play different styles. And, and, you know, they've scored a lot of points in some games, and this last one was a grind. So do they have a shot against the Zags? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, the answer is their defense. It's been incredible throughout this tournament. And for whatever reason, their opponents have missed a whole slew of free throws. It was First right. it was Alabama on Sunday, and then Michigan turned around and had a similar performance on Tuesday night. And I don't think that Gonzaga is going to fall into that trap um, on Saturday. And, you know, I'm just not – sold that Johnny Juzang is going to be able to do that same type of performance against the Gonzaga defense either. Right. I'm actually going to be laying the points with Gonzaga in this one, minus 14. Okay. But you feel, I was leaning towards the over because UCLA through the season scored a lot of points and the Zags seem to be impenetrable on their, on their offense. But you like the under because of Mick Cronin and, and his style, what he brings really from Cincinnati, which they showed against Michigan. Yeah, yeah. I think that UCLA is going to try to slow the pace in this one. They're 337th ranked in tempo, 64 possessions a game. And I I know that Mick Cronin knows that's the only way that they're going to beat Gonzaga. There is no way that they're going to run up and down with them. So right. I expect at least at the beginning that they're going to try and slow it down and see if that works. I suppose they might get away from it eventually if the league grows to be too large. Right. I mean, I guess if UCLA can hit some threes and Juzang can keep scoring, I don't know if they have an answer for for Timmy in the middle. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, I don't know who can guard Suggs a little bit on the penetration. But, yeah. you know, we'll see. I mean, I'll be rooting for him. I think I've told you this before, if – if, if calamity happens in my pool, I still can finish second. So I need like the non-normal things to happen this weekend, and then I'll be okay. Yeah, I think that uh, Suggs and Tiger Campbell is going to be a pretty serious mismatch. I right. hope that UCLA looks to find someone else to guard Suggs. Yeah, he's gonna. He's got great hair, but he's, he's going to get taken <laughs> out. 
Well, let's talk about the potential matchups for Monday night. Obviously, we don't know exactly who that will be as the tapings on Friday and we have the Final Four Saturday. You know, between Baylor and Houston, I'm not going to – I'm sorry, UCLA fans. I'm I'm sure I can eat crow later, and I'll be happy about it Mm -hmm. if they do win. But assuming the Zags advance because they're just dominating the universe here, Baylor versus Houston, who do you think has a better shot at beating this team? Well, I mean, it's definitely Baylor. In my opinion, I think they have the trio of guards that can match up with the Gonzaga guards. And I still think that Corey Kispert is going to be a little bit of a liability on defense in that Mm -hmm. game. And whoever he ends up drawing should be able to score some points. And um, I just think that the Baylor defense is better suited to play against that Gonzaga offense. And conversely, obviously, the Baylor offense is better than the Houston offense. Sure. I do think that it's Baylor. That's the matchup I want to see along with the rest of America. I think everybody wants to see the matchup. They were supposed to play during the regular mm-hmm. season. I just think from a betting perspective, Houston would be – I would I would basically take the points with Houston because I'm thinking even though in your numbers you're going to show Houston being about even with Baylor, if it was like the Zags versus Baylor, it might be minus nine. Mm-hmm. Houston might be minus nine and a half or something. I think it's going to be more. I think the public's going to bet on the Zags more if Houston makes it. So I think it'd probably be more like a 12-point advantage. And to me, Houston, they're a grinder team. This is the team that we thought USC would be. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they can grind this team to a pulp. Maybe not the team, but the game to a pulp. And then maybe they can stop Timmy inside with those bigs. Maybe they can't, but I don't know. I'm just thinking Giroux, he can you know, get in front of somebody. Um Whereas, I don't know. I mean, Baylor, I just think inter- in, their interior is going to be – I think Timmy's going to eat against Baylor. I don't know about against Houston. Um, I still think you're right. I think Baylor probably has a better chance of winning the game outright. But from a batting perspective, I would like to see Houston in there. I, I think I agree with you. With that little inflated point spread against Houston, you might find some value with the dog in that one. Um, if it, I, And I also agree. I think it's going to be north of 10 points if that matchup comes to fruition. Right. If it were if it were Gonzaga and Baylor, do you think you would look to lay the points with the Zags? Probably, yeah. I think okay. so. I think they could blow them out. I think that Mitchell's a problem, but I think Mitch. I think Suggs could probably at least slow him down a little mm-hmm. bit, right? Mm-hmm. But I just kind of think that the Baylor interior defense. I'm not that impressed with them, and I think that the Zags have enough inside to punish them. Plus, if they do want to run, I mean Baylor, they could shoot. 15 threes in the game and, and you know, shock the world, right? But I think if the two teams play at their pace, Zags are going to beat them. And, and we had actually, we, we didn't, we kind of glazed over it this, this time around, but we were both wrong in the Zags. We thought the yeah. Zags were going to be susceptible to somebody because of lack of, you know, strength of schedule and also just, you know, I mean, they play this interesting style. We thought that somebody would be able to kind of gum it up. Um, I think we're wrong. I think the Zags are incredible. They're looking like they're going to be undefeated for the first time, you know, since 76, a champion will be undefeated. I'm a little surprised saying that, but that USC game was the one that really kind of solidified that for me. Not that I thought USC is better than these Baylor or Houston. It's just, they just took apart that defense. They did anything they wanted against those guys. So maybe there's more experience on Baylor or something or the guard play, like you said, but uh, it's hard for me to, pick against the Zags unless there's a lot of points for like a Houston. Yeah, I did share with you last night and 
I'll say it again. Before we left Vegas, I logged into my Circa app and laid a minus 200 price on Gonzaga to not win the national championship. So granted, that was a couple of weeks ago. The number has since gone well the other way. I think they're <laughs> minus 200 to win the championship now. So. Yeah, you something you said yesterday is like plus 150 to to not <laughs> to win. take that yeah. same bet. Don't. Well, we'll see what happens. Baylor, well, Cir- Baylor's Circa was taking our money all weekend anyway, so you might as well give him some more. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you said that their schedule was kind of weak. Their region was a little weak, too. Uh, let's was. be honest. And now they draw UCLA, of course, in the semifinals. So. Well, yeah, we thought when we looked at the region, they were going to walk to the Final Four, which they basically did. And then they don't have to face a, you know, Alabama or a Michigan. Mm-hmm. And UCLA, we'll see. Maybe they'll they'll shock us all. But I kind of feel like that's going to be a blowout. And, yeah. You know, it'll be a really good first game, and the second game will be like, oh, hum, and then hopefully Monday night will give us something better. So what can you do? It's been an incredible season. We're really – I'm thankful we had a tournament. You know, yeah. last year we, just, we were lost without it. We, you know, we, we kind of ended on a thud with the podcast. We didn't know what to do, like what's going to happen. And this year we get to finish strong, finish the season, both our podcast and the uh, college basketball season. So it's exciting. Yeah, hopefully we get a great game Monday night as a culminating event. Absolutely. So, yeah, I just wanted to kind of reiterate that obviously we're going to this will be our last uh, last episode for the season. We will start again sometime in August for the previews of college football, probably first and then you know NFL, as we didn't allude to in the top. There's another week of the NFL season. So another mm-hmm. another opportunity for betting, I guess, when we do the Circa contest, we'll get an extra week there. There you go. I wonder how they're going to do that, because it was five weeks before if they're going to break it up a little differently. I'm not sure. Um, but it'll be our hundredth episode when we start up again. So I'm, I'm excited for that. Yeah, definitely. hundred episodes is quite a, a number. It's hard to believe that when we started this a couple of years ago that we would get to that number, but it is very exciting. Yeah. And just to remind everybody to save the date, September 10th through the 12th, uh, at Circa, we are definitely going to go, you know, Prime's already got his room. We'll, we'll figure it out. We're going to get a cabana or something like that for the opening weekend. So anybody who's out there can celebrate with us and, you know, for another another season, hopefully it'll be a whole different world then with vaccines and people feeling better and more open because uh, mm-hmm. obviously it's been a, a long, almost 13 months of this whole uh, pandemic. Yeah, hopefully so. It'll be a nice celebration once we all can get back out and enjoy NFL football again. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to sign off for season three here for the Side Action Podcast. Follow us at Side Action Pod on Twitter and also on YouTube. Follow me at Wegspool on Twitter and Instagram. And follow me on Twitter at 31S Roberts. All right. Enjoy the final four, everybody. That's a wrap for this episode of the Side Action Podcast. We appreciate all of your listens and thank you for joining us. We'll see you all again next week on Thursday for some more hot picks and side action. podcast its owners and associates take no responsibility for the opinions or statements made by the show hosts or their guests statements or show topics are not necessarily the beliefs of this podcast and opinions between talk show hosts may conflict individuals following the advice given on the podcast accept their own risk of losses from wagers made 
as the Side Action Podcast, its owners, hosts, associates, or guests will not guarantee any advice given. The opinions and advice given on the Side Action Podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Intro and outro and transition music credits. Song titles, Jerry 5 and District 4 by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.org. Licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 3.0. CreativeCommons.org backslash licenses backslash by 3.0.